Well, first thing this morning, I am really happy that we get to celebrate one more First Holy Communion today for my friend Maddie Miller and her friends from her class who just received First Communion a week ago yesterday were kind enough to come back and wear their lovely First Communion dresses again. So Maddie got to uh, come in with them this morning. So Maddie, I'm so happy. This is just great. So and I got to tell you, one of the wonderful things about this time of year with all the sacraments and you know, especially the First Communions and the Confirmations, all this, we get to hear a lot from the Gospel of John, especially beginning on Easter Sunday. And even at First Communion, we heard from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John at First Communion. And as we go through this whole season, we kind of jump to different places in the Gospel of John. And I thought this morning we could spend a little bit of time just looking at the whole of the Gospel, which I think is going to help us to understand the importance of what Jesus is saying today and the importance of when he's saying it. So what do I mean by that? If you look at the Gospel of John, it's 21 chapters long. Chapters 1 through 12 are the time of Jesus' public ministry. So basically, three years of Jesus going out there and proclaiming the gospel. You start chapter 1, now there's what's called the prologue that begins, in the beginning was the word, so longer than three years ago. But then we move right into John the Baptist, the calling and the apostles, like when Jesus tells them, come and see. And then you move right into chapter 2 with the wedding feast at Cana. And then you have other events throughout those 12 chapters that only John tells us about. Like Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well in chapter 4. All of chapter 6, which is part of what we read at First Communion, is the bread of life discourse. Chapter 9 is the healing of the man born blind. And chapter 11 is where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And in between some of those big signs and events, Jesus has some conversations both with his apostles and kind of goes back and forth with the Pharisees. Then you jump ahead, and we heard some of this actually a month ago today. We listened to chapter 18 and 19 on Good Friday. Chapter 18 and 19 of the Gospel of John is the Passion. So basically, the night before at the Agony in the Garden, and then the arrest, the trial, and the passion, death, and resurrection, passion and death of Jesus is chapter 18 and 19. And of course, this time of year, I'm so excited. I want to tell you about 20 and 21 as well. Chapter 20 is the resurrection of Jesus. And as it moves through 20 and into 21, it's the various encounters with Mary Magdalene, the beloved disciple, Peter, the other apostles, Thomas. And basically, that's the resurrection on Sunday and kind of the weeks that follow, all right? So when you think about that, 12 chapters for three years, two chapters for less than 24 hours, agony in the garden through Jesus dying at three o'clock the next day, and then two more chapters for basically the resurrection and the next couple weeks. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, wait a second, Father, you skipped a couple chapters in there. We went from 12 to 18. What about those middle five? What about 13 to 17? Here's the fascinating thing. 13 to 17 is the Last Supper. When you think about that, 12 chapters to cover three years, and then John takes five chapters to talk about the Last Supper. And that's where we are in the gospel 
today, the, like kind of into it a little bit. We're moving towards the end of chapter 13. But when you think about that, a 21-chapter gospel and five of those chapters are one meal together, which I think is a pretty clear sign it's important. And it was important to our Lord and important to the beloved disciple who laid on his heart at the Last Supper and gives us what happened in his gospel. And in fact, the way that he kicks off chapter 13 in talking about the Last Supper is Jesus having loved his own in the world, loved them till the end. And Luke tells us in his gospel about the Last Supper that Jesus said, I have longed to celebrate this meal with you. Now, to set it aside like that, to have that kind of emphasis on it, and by the way, I did the math, 23.8% of the Gospel of John is Last Supper. So nearly a quarter, right? That's a big deal. So, When you look at Jesus in setting up the Last Supper, I think we know our Lord is fully divine and also fully human. And just like us, when something is really important, you go out of your way to try to make everything perfect, to try to set it all up to be just right in the way that you want it to be. And you can see our Lord doing that. Having loved his own in the world, he loved them to the end. He longs to celebrate this supper with them. And so what does he do? These beautiful gestures. He takes off his outer garment, girds himself with a towel, washes their feet. And then when his heart is troubled and he says that one of you will betray me, notice he doesn't just say, Judas, knock it off. No, it's the one who I will dip my finger in the dish with, which is an interesting thing to go at, right? But when you're having a hard time with someone, you know, when you know that there's some tension there, Yeah, you can just write them off, you can call them out, or you can try to have a good interaction, a closeness, a looking at them and loving them. And that's exactly what Jesus did with Judas, touching his very hand, touching his feet clearly as he watched them, and hoping maybe, maybe Judas won't betray him. But the sad thing is, as we get in the gospel today, as the deacon just read, the way this begins, when Judas had left them. So think about this, son of God, fully divine, fully human, who goes out of his way to try to make everything perfect, even though he sets it all up to the fullest, Judas still betrays him. Now, what I think that teaches us in a huge way is that even though in our lives we strive to make things that are important to us as perfect as we possibly can, They don't always go perfectly, and yet we have to keep going because that's exactly what Jesus did. Notice, when Judas had left them, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified. I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. It's not as though he gets the human level of hurt and disappointment as one of his apostles, one of his close friends, betrays him, goes out into the night. It's not as though Jesus goes into a cynical mode of I'm hurt and so I'm taking this out on you. He continues to love even after that fact. And I would say too, and it's not even in like the absolute betrayal of Judas. The other apostles are falling all over themselves at the Last Supper too. He goes out of his way to make this so great. 
And you know, he has this beautiful moment for them to wash their feet. And what does Peter say? You'll never wash my feet. You know, it's like when you try to do something nice for someone, don't do that. Well, I want to do it because I love you. And of course, Peter still doesn't get it. Well, then wash my head too. No, like this is what I'm doing for you, right? And even with Peter to tell him, I'll never betray you. Really? And I would think once again, from the point of view of our Lord, you know, Peter, before the cock crows three times, buddy, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. You would almost think like from his perspective, if I just say this to Peter, maybe it will get, that, get through that thick skull of his and he won't do it, but he does do it. So you look at the fact that our Lord experiences hurt, experiences disappointment, experiences what he wanted to be perfect didn't go over perfectly, and yet he still loves us. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, I think that is one of the huge messages of the Gospel of John, is to see the way that our Lord continues to love us even when things don't go perfect, and then tells us, as I have loved you, you must love one another. And we all experience this, and I want to tell you about a very recent example of when I experienced this, and how I had to keep loving even in the face of things not going perfectly. Some of you were there. It was Monday nights. We worked so hard to set up for confirmation. You know, it's months in the making. All sorts of preparation for our students. They're working hard. They go to the retreat. Our catechists are working hard. We do all of these things to put together a beautiful liturgy. We welcome in Abbot Placid. Thanks be to God, the weather is lovely. We welcome back our friend, Father James Ebright. Everything looks great. The confirmandi were wonderful and reverent, and we're all lined up outside, and John is here getting pictures, and it's all great. And then we start coming in right at six o'clock, and everything looks so good. I'm in the narthex, and I can hear Johnny singing and Flora playing, and it's all so beautiful. And then I was the concelebrating priest, right? So the abbot was here to celebrate the sacrament of confirmation, which means I was like one of the ones attending. Like I got to participate, but I'm not the main celebrant. Which, by the way, here at Sacred Heart, that's like riding shotgun in your own car. It feels weird, all right? I love Abbot Placid. He's doing everything perfectly. But you know, like I'm used to driving the car, and it's like, yeah. Okay, so I come in. Everything's good so far. And I'm thinking, okay, it's been a long procession. I guess we're just at the point where we're beyond the verses. Okay, and floor is still playing beautifully. It's great. I reverence the altar. He's incensing. We're still not singing. I don't really know why. Okay. And then the abbot begins the mass, and it doesn't sound quite right, but it's not completely off. I'm not sure. And then it happens. Tracy Centillis was the lector. She comes over to read. I can't hear a thing sitting right over there. And God bless Diego, who is the perfect MC, so subtly comes around to make sure that the microphone's on. Because sometimes lectors forget to turn it on. There's a little light right here. By the way, it's on right now, so you can hear me. And he walks out about five steps, and then he stops and turns around, which tells me the light is on, but nobody's home, right? The speakers wouldn't work. Now, they worked in the narthex, and apparently they worked into the computer for the live stream. So thanks be to God, you can go hear the abbot's homily now, but on Monday night, you couldn't. And I was so frustrated. And during the responsorial psalm that I'm sure Flora and Johnny were singing beautifully, couldn't hear them, I leaned to the abbot and I said, I don't know what's going on with the microphones. And God bless Abbot Placid. He goes, it's those darn demons. And that was really, really helpful, to be honest with you. 
And then once we got into confirmation, it started to get better because the confirmandi were so good and so reverent and so into it. The sponsors were wonderful. Abbott was so gracious and just good with them. And then we moved into the rest of the mess and my peace vanished like that and I was back to being ticked off. Like it was just like, ah, I want this to be good. I want it to be good for everybody who's here, especially those being confirmed. But it was out of my control. And thanks be to God, right after the Mass, had a great conversation with Abba Placid, and I got to go to confession, which was so good. I needed to go anyway, but I could confess, I'm just so upset. And he was just wonderful. It's okay. It's all good. It was wonderful. But you know, the thing is, as we look at what we want to be so good, right, we're not in control. Actually, the reason we had, and I hope you don't mind me calling you out, Maddie. Poor Maddie. It was supposed to be her first communion day a week ago yesterday. She got sick. Her family was in town, and she couldn't come. But God works it out. We show up, right? We have to keep going. And obviously, the example about confirmation, as frustrating as it is, and by the way, it's like the mics work 98% of the time, except for on Christmas Eve and apparently on confirmation. So, and it's a new way that it was wrong. Anyway, I think we're fixed. I hope. You never know. It has a mind of its own. But obviously, that's a lesser thing. Sometimes stuff is harder than that. Sometimes people we love, like Jesus loving Judas and Peter, turn their backs on us. Sometimes we're hurt. And Jesus tells us, love one another as I have loved you. And I think one of the keys to this is that beautiful concluding line in the book of Revelation today. The one who sat on the throne, Jesus said, Behold, I make all things new. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean he takes away all the circumstances that are out of our control. Doesn't mean he takes away all the sources of our resentment. Doesn't mean we won't be hurt. What it means is that he shows us that to be faithful and persevering and loving, even as those tidal waves of circumstances hit us, even when we're hurt, to keep loving is what lasts, is what comes through, which rises from the dead, as Jesus does on Easter Sunday morning, which is why we have to gather every Sunday to remember that fact. If you want to see this line so beautifully exemplified, watch Mel Gibson's The Passion, There's a beautiful moment in that movie, which I can hardly tell you about without crying, when Jesus encounters Mary on the way. And he says, beat up, bloodied, broken, bruised, carrying his cross, see mother, I make all things new. And that's what our Lord tells us to do, to count on that newness. And where does he tell us? At the Last Supper. It takes John five chapters to tell us about. Why? Because it's crucial. He shows us the way to keep on loving even in the face of disappointment, even in the face of resentment causing difficulties, even in the temptation of cynicism. He keeps loving his own in the world and loving them to the end. And then tells us, do the same thing. Love one another as I have loved you. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, that is a tall order. It's hard to keep doing it. It's hard to keep loving when we're frustrated, when we're tempted towards resentment and cynicism. But that's what he tells us to do. And I think the other key point is that he tells us this at the Last Supper. Why? Because he doesn't just give us the commandments. He gives us the source to make this happen. 
He gives us what Maddie is going to receive for the first time at this Mass. He gives us the ultimate gift that we need to love as he has loved us himself. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.